Hi, and welcome back to the VFX Show. I'm Mike Seymour. It's 2019, and I'm joined by the crew, starting with Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? Uh, I'm very good. Happy to be back uh, doing an episode. And Jason Diamond, how are you, sir? Excellent. Also happy to be returning to the chair. We thought Matt might be joining us, but he's lost in transmission, so just the three of us. But we are going into the Spider-Verse. We're also, I predict, going to be chatting about the upcoming Oscars, those films that have been uh, deemed to be worthy of consideration for the uh, Golden Statue. But we'll get to that later in the show. Right now, uh, we want to start by discussing Spider-Verse, which is kind of a little different to us because it's a fully animated film, not really visual effects. We have done them in the past, but they're not our prime zone. Having said that, there is so much to discuss about this film. It's done very well in the awards, uh, run up very well in the VES nominations, um, you know, huge box office, massive kind of thing. Uh, I guess I want to start, Jason, by asking you, did you think when you heard about this Spider-Verse film coming, you'd think it would be this big, successful, blockbuster, award, sort of worthy uh, film? Um. You know, I'd have to say I definitely didn't have negative feelings towards it, but I didn't know exactly what the storyline was going to be. Um, the animation style and all the trailers was super cool and super interesting. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by the quality of the script. And again, that's not because I was expecting anything less or think animated f features would be less, but just I had no barometer for this specific movie. Um, obviously Phil Miller and Chris Lord are, uh, masters in this genre with Lego movie and other things like that. Um, I wish they had been given their free reign on Han Solo. Um, but I, I mean, I, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. I thought, I think it might be the best superhero movie made yet. Ooh. And I might go so far as to say that I might just want every Marvel movie moving forward to just be made like this one. Wow, that's uh, that's high praise indeed. Matt, we actually had quite a lot of Spider-Man films and reboots of the film and retelling of the retelling of the reboot of the telling of the story. What was your impression going in? Do you think this was going to be something that interests you? Because i got to confess, I thought I would not want to see this for all the money in China. I was like, just forget about it. I just don't need to see a cartoon version of a reboot of a reboot. I completely dismissed it in the early days. Boy, did I eat my, uh, my words. What about you? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because I, I would say the exact same thing. Like when I was in the theater and I saw the trailer, like probably like at least six, maybe even seven or eight months before the film was released, I was, I don't know what we were seeing, but I was seeing something with my son and maybe one of his buddies or something. And the trailer came up and they're like, that looks cool. And I was like, oh, that looks so stupid. Like it just did not look interesting to me. Um, and then, of course, upon seeing the film, I think I'd actually probably fall more on the, the side of what Jason was saying. I think that as an animated film, as a superhero film, I think it's one of the most exciting and innovative um, films as an animated movie, but also as a superhero movie um, that I've ever seen. I think it's, it's so cool. They really took and broke, I think, all the molds of... Um, kind of what had come before, both in a really exciting visual way, in an exciting story way. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really great. I was totally surprised how much I liked it. When I heard there was going to be a uh, Peter Porker, uh, like a pig version, 
my fears had been, it seemed, you know, crystallized into downright gospel, take it to the bank, uh, hatred. And yet, for some reason, I didn't hate there being a spider pig in this film. I, uh, I thought it was great. Jason, how did it work? Do you have any insight on how they could have three directors credited to this? Isn't there like Peter, Bob and Rodney all credited as directors? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what DGA rules are for animated movies, so it's I'm not sure. But um, since there's no set time, I think it's probably doable. You see a lot of at least duos for animated movies. Um, I think that the broad um, assortment of ethnicities in the directing team and in the production team brought a lot of, you know, it's a story about a, uh, what is he, half African-American, half Latino, Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, not anything that has been done in any superhero movie before, you know, other than um, Anthony Mackie in The Avengers, most of the superheroes are white. Uh, even, the, you know, the women are white, um, except for Storm and the X-Men ones. But, um, you know, I th- think that it that was part of it. You know, a broad viewpoint brought a lot to the story. Um, I don't know how they split it up. I don't know if one guy's a visual guy, another guy's a voice actor guy and what have you. Um, but it worked. Whatever they, <laughs> whatever they did was, uh, you know, keep that formula together. I, I hate to di- digress at this point because it's such a stupid point to bring up even, but what do we call a white person these days is because, uh, like, I understand what you meant by the sentiment and I understand completely and agree with you. It's high time we had uh, more superheroes. Though I think we've seen great, uh, you know, tremendous. A Black Panther, of, obviously, exactly, was a yeah, huge what I uh, one I missed, yeah. But but the other one I was going to think of was uh, was Wonder Woman. Um, who is obviously not Asian or African-American, yet not traditionally uh, a what you call North American white woman. Right. Um, it's interesting because I think that uh, we are in a sea change where there are these really interesting characters that aren't just sort of the obvious uh, solutions. And boy, do audiences love them and for good reason, which is high time that that happened, right? I mean, there's just no reason why it shouldn't. But um, yeah, anyway. Um, the film is, I mean, Philip Lauder and Christopher Miller get a lot of attention. I wonder, do we think that the role of the directors is now slightly in the, in the area of an animated film, maybe like in a live action film, the director, it's like their film, right? It's like a Spielberg film. Do we think that the writers and these producers actually sort of now are a little stronger in animation than just the directors or is that just this film? Well, it's really hard to say. I mean, you know, I was looking around uh, to try to find um, some articles written on sort of the production aspect of the movie. I know there is a book out right now. I think a couple students have of the art of um, the film, but and I've just thumbed through it. But I haven't seen a whole lot of information that really covered in great detail the production of the movie. I was actually looking through um, last month's and then just the new... Cinefix magazine and Cinefix uh, isn't doesn't look like they're covering this movie. It's not in the upcoming um, the list in upcoming issue either. So it's kind of hard to find um, information about the production. Frankly, I didn't I didn't see much because I, I know that just the word on the street is that Lord and Miller have enormous clout because of this film. 
and they're credited as like creative producer team. It's just I, I just am always interested because like I think in in plays, you know, playwrights are just so dominant, right? Like it's a Shakespearean play. You don't talk about the director as being the sort of the central figure of a play. And in films, it's always been directors, uh, not so with TV shows, but definitely with films. It just feels like the animated world now, This there's this move, especially from Pixar's, you know, um, a sort of collective creative uh, team that uh, sort of championed films through. In the early days, it was John Lasseter film. It feels more like now that they're acknowledging like a creative committee or a creative group that's steering these animated films. And clearly it works, right? Whereas, you know, in the past you'd say the worst thing you could do to anything is have the lack of a single vision or the lack of a of single leadership. But that's not seeming to be the case with animated films. They seem to be very successfully navigating it. It is quite a different model than than obviously the feature film one for for not just how it goes about doing it, but like how it gets driven, I think, creatively. Anyway, we're not here to discuss. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I'm curious how they solve, you know, who gets the last word on certain things yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the film has obviously got a tremendously uh, original visual look, and so let's let's go there on that. Um, sort of self-servingly, uh, obviously, I published a story on FX Guide where we hit uh, a lot of the major kind of uh, signposted different types. But Jason, if I could start with you, the, the thing that I found most uh, like succeeded where I again expected that it would have the most trouble is that it does have this integration of vastly different styles. It does have like a black and white character, a very much a Looney Tunes character and an anime character and a more traditional uh, sort of uh, 3D animated characters. How did you find those sitting together? I just would have thought I would have pushed back on it, but I just didn't bump on it in any scenes that I can remember. Yeah, well, I think I agree with you. I think that the animation style lent itself to that. It's like, you know, it's like everything's on twos, you know, or like 18 frames a second on twos or whatever. So it just had that kind of like just not super smooth motion, but totally just enough that your brain wasn't like, that looks stuttery. Um, I guess I would liken it to the way that the Russos handled all the different tones of the different characters in Infinity War and how they're all all those different characters have their movies with different tones and they all really synergized together and didn't feel like anyone jumped out or felt weak. And same here, each one of the spider men or women or things um, has still maintained their thing. Like the Nick Cage black and white, you know, where he's always got wind on him and they even comment on it. Like, where's that wind coming from? You know, like it doesn't take itself seriously, but it commits. And I think that's a key factor to why it works. Uh, each of those characters are not forced to change who or what they are to fit any other universe or character or what have you. So I don't know. I, I thought it was a great like um, nod and homage to all the different styles of comic books and all the different styles of characters that are out there, including multiple spider people. Uh, I don't know. It really... I was super surprised. I wasn't expecting how many, I mean, I seen the trailer, but I didn't know when they, you know, would it be, you know, a small bit of them all together and then they disperse or what have you, um, you know, and then they fight together, which obviously, you know, subconsciously pushes the concept of inclusion and, 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 you know, uh, group dynamics and things, which I think 
was the message of the movie anyway. So like, you know, um, much like we talked about Black Panther and, and, and their subplots and themes that came up in the first act that they totally used as fodder for the third act. I think the same here, they set something up for, um, you know, especially with the brother who, Oh, he's a deadbeat, you know, but he's also, uh, you know, the dad, his uncle, the dad's brother. Oh, but he's also the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's uh, or one of the bad guys. It's, you know, it's just these it, levels are always good. And when everything's too crisp or too delineated, it doesn't work. And I thought here there was enough blurring of the lines where everything was able to work together and feel like real felt more real than fantastical other than the spider, you know, superhero parts to me. Yeah. Matt, I've got this sense when I'm watching some films that they do something like, like, like I'm picking up on Jason's point about them committing, like it felt like in this film, they committed it and they liked it. Sometimes they commit and do something that's odd and it's like, well, I think this is stupid, but the kids will think it's funny or the kids will think it's great. And, and in fact, it never is. Um, but there are occasions when you, know, you do something that's kind of out there, but you can tell that not only are they committing, but they actually really like it. And as a consequence, it's kind of infectious. I don't know what that characteristic is, um, but you see it in films when it could have been almost insultingly stupid, but it isn't. They like they embrace it. They are aware of what they're doing, but they don't. They're not apologetic about it. And I felt like this different mixing of styles was just embraced and not walked away from in a way that no one was kind of cringing. They just thought it was awesome, and you couldn't help but feel it was awesome too. I don't know what what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's 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 pretty close to kind of how I would feel about it. I think the. Um, the inclusion, I like what you said, Jason, about sort of the, like the diversity and inclusion piece, like being not just in sort of the, the cast and the casting of certain, um, you know, uh, you know, ethnic groups or, um, uh, you know, uh, women or whatever. It was more, you know, and a pig, <laughs> you know, but it was more like, um, that there was a kind of an inclusion and diversity and a wholesale embrace of Spider-Man, the character, and the sort of whole history of the Spider-Man sort of franchise, the Spider-Man comics. And then they did it in a way where they had all these different aesthetic uh, styles. But then the, the primary world in which the story is taking place, you know, they did this stuff with the, the backgrounds where they were, at times they looked almost photorealistic because the lighting and the, um, the yeah. textures and stuff are just amazing. But then they inserted into uh, so much of... Um, you know, key sequences in the film that kind of half tone and sort of the, yeah, the slightly um, misregistered yeah. kind of um, things that would make it look like it was actually coming from something that was printed as well. So like, you know, you go through and, you know, the thing I've heard people say a lot about this movie is that you could take any frame from it and, you know, drop it, you know, straight into the pages of a graphic novel or a comic and it wouldn't look out of place. Like it would look great. And you look at some of the stills that are, you know, just uh, online and uh, from the film. And it really does have that aesthetic. And I think there's just something about it. Like you really get the sense that the the creators and the makers of this, they love the character. They love Spider-Man and they love all things Spider-Man. And I think that that part of it is what makes it sort of infectious, but also what makes it work, I think, to what you're asking, Mike. And Mike, I think to your point, I think the thing that you are looking for in an explanation of why it works 
it's, I was thinking about this while you guys were talking is it's the commitment is part one. Part two is respect for the audience. Yes. And if you, yes. Com- if you commit, then you're committing because you believe that the audience can handle it, whether it's something tiny or something big, right? It can be tiny, a tiny thing. And you just, but the audience knows, and I think I've probably said this a million times in over the 10 years you've been doing this, but the audience knows when you're being truthful to them, when you're lying to them and when you're manipulating them. Now, all three of those things are totally fine to do to make your movie work. You just can't do it disingenuous, disingenuously. I don't know how I said that. Anyway, you know what I mean? So I think, I think the commitment is the key. Um, also I saw this in 3d cause I meant to say that before. And I think the 3d was phenomenal. It was so subtle, but it was just enough to give you some volume, uh, without being like super planar, you know, it was just, it was really nice. I, you know, I try to see animated movies in 3d if I can, because they obviously have the most control over what they're doing. And, uh, I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I find this film like really, really interesting for the, all of those choices. But let's dig into some of them like in more detail because they were like bizarre. Like the biggest one was not using defocus but using misregistration. Uh, so, you know, literally the misalignment of effectively the RGB to sort of denote a, a defocus. I just found that to be such a no motion blur. I mean, I could kind of get the, you know, we've seen that before, people making things look more like stop frame. But once they started going for this really uh, amazing use of halftone and uh, and misregistration, I was like, wow, that just took nerves because that, I mean, that's just a mistake. I mean, it's, it's a mistake mm-hmm. that works. Um, well, and to kids now, they're not – I mean, yes, people still read comic books, thank God. But <laughs> the visual language a kid has in his head, his, his or her head is not – you know, there's no defocus in a comic book generally. Um, it's planar, right? This is foreground, midground, background, uh, to tell the story and, and half tones of patone and, and, you know, pages ripping through a printer, you know, at whatever speed they're ripping through. So they're misaligned and whatever. So to your point, um, being slightly redundant to your point, but I think they, and this goes back to my earlier point of commitment, they chose a style that is not specifically current to a child's you know, like inherent visual language, um, but trusted that they would understand it because it is a style that's worked for a hundred years or not a hundred years, but you know, 50, 60 years, mm-hmm. um, in, in this style. So, you know, again, kudos. And Matt, the last time I saw words on the screen, like screech and pow was in <laughs> the original sixties Batman. Like who thought that yeah, was totally. a good idea? And yet we yeah. just bought it in this film. Well, I think that's one of the things that's so exciting is that it's sort of like a, a deviation from, you know, with, well, still sort of, um, it's certainly, of course, using the, um, you know, the tech, the, all the, all the latest and greatest in terms of the technology, but it's also, um, a departure from what we have come to sort of expect from, uh, 3d animated filmmaking where, you know, you sort of have the, you know, the Pixar's or the, um, you know, DreamWorks or whatever kind of animation style. And there's some variance within that too. Like, I mean, you look at something like WALL-E from the Pixar language certainly has a much different feel than 
one of the Toy Story films in terms of the way that it's like the the lensing of stuff and the lighting and um, whatnot. It's got a sort of a more photoreal look. But I think with this, what they did was something that's so exciting and that I feel like I don't see enough of, which is that they took an aesthetic and a style that is much more, like it feels more um, just kind of hand-drawn, you know, and that the textures and the materials and the lighting and shading and stuff, it's more like um, what you might see in, I, I, I don't know, it's not... It doesn't have the same aesthetic, but it makes me think of things like that game Borderlands or there was a film by a Polish filmmaker at Seagraph a few years back called a short film called Paths of Hate. I don't know if you ever saw that, but it was like a, it looked kind of Borderlands-like. It had a very um, graphic novel-esque style and it was two um, World War II fighter planes flying around trying to shoot each other down. And I think that this film, it really embraces that style in a way that feels um, the, the style of the comics in a way that just feels super fresh and refreshing. Like I, I haven't seen it like that before. And Mike, I would say, I know you're not going to like this, but I would say <laughs> the movie that probably prior to this did comic translations the best was Scott Pilgrim. Anyway, I know you don't on. like that movie, um, but I thought, I thought you, you were going to say Ang Lee's The Hulk. Because <laughs> I was no. going to say, I thought it was like it reminded me of Three Hundred in the sense. I think that's a oh, that's sure. A good one. You need yeah, to get a, a level of analogy. visual sophistication and the ability to do it effectively. It's, it's a bit like um, like if you look at a Picasso and you say, okay, it's not that he can't draw because you can clearly see that in the paintings of the blue periods he can do a more representative style. He's just gone beyond it. But you kind of need to be able to do the representative, the the photo reel, the proper 3D with all the right lighting. And once you've done that, then the audience is like, well, if you want to go somewhere else, I can tell that you're not doing it because you can't. I'm telling you, you can do it because you want to. I felt like that in 300 as well. In 300, that was a very distinctive style, but it didn't feel like, it felt like it was sort of on a soundstage, but not because they weren't very good at doing locational comps. It's because they wanted that graphical look. And I felt like that here as well. When they were doing things it was very much like a conscious decision, not a technical limitation. And, and yet, uh, there's this other stuff they threw in there. Like they'd have these flash frames in a sequence where it would just go to effectively 2D art for like a couple of frames mm-hmm. and back again. And I was like, wow, that's that again is like really takes nerves. Because I mean, talk about taking you out of the film. You're just flashing whole different styles in for just like no apparent reason. Well, I think that's what makes it feel so groundbreaking too, because it does feel like they're really trying, they're swinging for the fences. They're doing something totally new, really f- like super, I feel like I'm repeating myself, super fresh. Like it's just, it felt like something I haven't seen before. It felt like a giant um, land grab uh, on the part of Sony Animation, you know, to go out and say, all right, like, <laughs> let's, let's do this thing. Let's just go for it. And they totally did it. And it, it's, I, I don't know. I think it's, I'll be shocked if it doesn't win uh, for yeah, the best. Oscar for best animated feature. Hey, so is there anything that they tried and, and, you know, fair enough too, but is there anything they tried that you feel failed? They tried something and look, you know, I applaud them for trying it, but no, it didn't really work for me. You know, I saw There's, this oh, sorry, over Christmas. So it's been, a month since I saw it, but um, I don't recall anything. Usually that stuff sticks with me, like the little kind of foible stuff. And 
I don't really think anything, I don't remember anything being feeling weird or like, ah, oh, you know, I wish they would have done X, Y, or Z. What I think you, the, only two, the only two things that like kind of lost me, one of them is like probably my own, um, like I sort of contract a little bit with the, um, the manga style character, which I know I guess actually comes from another property, but like I, I just, uh, I think it, it's probably my own um, uh, issues that I have with that sort of style and that I see so many students who want to draw that way <laughs> and love that kind of stuff. But then the only other thing that really stuck out to me as being something that at least in seeing it, I remember it sticking out as something that was like, oh, it's a, it was cool and it was exciting, but it was kind of almost visually almost too much, which was um, the, the sort of apex of the final sequence. Um, there was moments where that was like, it was so crazy that like old man brain maybe uh, had a hard time visually with some of that bits, some of those bits uh, in the final sequence where they're... Um, trying to get the, uh, the multiverse, uh, you know, window to sort of close. There were moments where I kind of got lost in that, but I mean, it's like, I still dug it, but it was one of those things where if I was going to be nitpicky, those would be the things that stuck out. So it's funny you say that because the one that threw me is, you know, the arch villain, it's like uh, Kingpin, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I didn't like him in the sense that I thought that it was too exaggerated a style and him combined with the end sequence, I had flashbacks of years ago with my kids watching Powderpuff Girls, like this kind of just mad kind of uh, animation style that made no sense with just things flying for what seemed like flashy lights rather than any other reason. So that end sequence was on borderline for me, but it was slightly too much whenever you had the actual Kingpin giant character with the tiny head, big body, no head. It's just, I don't know, at some point that became just too absurd a, a, a caricature of a thing for me to kind of buy into it. And I kind of didn't know what I was meant to make of it. Like, is he a superhero? Is he just a fat guy? Is he just an odd guy? Like, uh, well, Carlton Fisk, a big lumber Carlton triangle. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Carlton Fisk has always been drawn that way. The Kingpin is typically, I mean, I could be someone from the comic verse will slap me, I'm sure, but I had already always associated him with Daredevil. Yes. Uh, Carlton Fisk. So it was interesting that he was the guy in this. I kind of liked, I mean, I I immediately was like, whoa, that's crazy. But I kind of liked it because it's so... I mean, so obviously the bad guy, by the way he's drawn, then it was just like, okay, cool. And I do like his character generally as a bad guy. Um, so I was just interested to see how they were going to fold him in. And, of course, I always like when bad guys have Brooklyn accents. Maybe I've just got some <laughs> aversion to really – because I had the same problem with Thanos, right, at one point, which was just like right. unconvincingly like dumb and to the point of being like silly. Like in this one, he's got this tiny head below his shoulders, yeah. right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like the hunchback of. It just looks like he's yeah he's blown up, and yeah looks like he's wearing a costume, which is maybe just as I say me. But there have been other drawings of Kingpin where he's still huge, just doesn't have his head. Oh sure, so low yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, yeah. I tell you something I did love though. I love the fact that they use the comical or the graphic novel panels uh, at various points in the film. Like they didn't overuse mm -hmm. that. 
But the fact that you would um, do that and actually have something playing out in like, what, I don't know, eight or nine kind of panels, not even vertically uh, delineated either, but in a really kind of interesting way. Uh, and I remember just thinking at the time, what a headache that would have been in reviews, right? Because <laughs> think about it for a second. You've got this like thing and you're like, okay, I've got one of the little panels that I'm meant to be animating. But if my like aspect ratio, which is like a weird diamond shape, doesn't let me do what I kind of want to do, I'd want to move my diamond, but that would muck up the next guy's frame. And then right. even if that wasn't the case, I have to time my action. So it isn't just a, like, like you want those eight or nine panels to, to work in concert the way a musical score or musical notes do and not unharmoniously so that your eye doesn't know where to look and it's just kind of a confusing mess. And I've seen it twice now and both times looked at those panels and I thought, man, the timing in those relative to each other, like the eight little stories, mm -hmm. all seem to play really, really well with these very iconic uh, poses that, uh, that Spidey's kind of doing, you know, which are always very graphical and work in kind of silhouette, but don't work in any, just in any framing. They have to be sort of framed appropriate because they're quite exaggerated poses. Yeah, yeah it's this. funny storyboarding for that or the animatic for that's got to be like insane, insanely right? yeah. tight. You yeah. Know? I was going to say when you're saying about the drawing, like the iconic poses, it's funny that once McFarlane kind of came on the scene with and and sort of put his very massive and I think real super cool stamp on Spider-Man, that sort of stuck around for a long time and like the gnarly uh, barbed wire kind of knots on the on the um, webs and, and these iconic kind of acrobatic poses for similar to what Frank Miller did for the dark Knight. Um, I think it's cool to, to give nods to all that. And I actually, I was totally taken aback by the Stan Lee cameo because I didn't have it in my head really when this was made. And obviously he's passed and I sort of got a little teary when he kind of popped in and there's, does his thing. And, you know, and I was like, I was like, oh shit, right. He's dead. Crap. You know, but like, you know, it was nice to get one last little, although maybe he's in the next Avengers, but um, it, it was kind of a cool uh, little drop in, which they always are, but, but it kind of, kind of hit me. Definitely had more resonance this time, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah. I mean, and I did like, I did like how they almost like you, Mike, you were saying it's like about origin stories and all that kind of stuff. Cause we've seen Spider-Man in so many, like, you know, two different actors, a bunch of movies, um, that, that they, and even in the newest one in homecoming, you know, they, they still showed an, an origin story. Right. So in this one, it was really interesting that they're like literally said, okay, let's do this one more time. And then yeah. they like, blast through the origin story of each person, you know, in like 30 seconds. I was like, okay, that's cool because a, you're getting the backstory of the characters that you may not be familiar with beyond Spider-Man, but also it's paying, you know, it's a nice nod to the fact that it's like, okay, we get it. Everybody knows that Spider-Man somehow has powers. Does it really matter? Yeah. I mean, that happened, of course, because Sony owned the rights to Spider-Man and only had limited yep. things to what they could do with it. And so they, they, they were sort of trapped in a, in a bubble of legal constraints as to what they could do with Spider-Man and it kept on making money at the box office. Um, yep. 
but I just did not need to see another Spider-Man film. Uh, I just felt like that was just ridiculous. So when this one came up, as I said, I had no interest. So you're right, when we see that. But that's sort of what Marvel's been really good at. It's kind of aware, it's self-aware without mocking the audience. It's As I was saying earlier, it's like right. a lot of these shots are, you know, I think you mentioned that point earlier about where's the wind coming from on the black and white character. Yeah. Um, it's enough that, you know, you as the audience might be sort of half thinking that. And when they say that, it's almost like, yeah, we get it, but hey, it's cool, right? But it's not like, hey, we get it, but what do you know, kid? You know, it's just dumb. You right. know, it's like, hey, it's we respect. get it, yeah. but we like it. <laughs> so we just thought we yeah. do it. Um, yeah. And Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that's uh, that's interesting is this idea of introducing uh, kind of action lines or kind of sort of almost like dashes, uh, breakups of character edges to indicate blur or motion blur when there is none. And it's stunning that you've got these very fast-moving sequences that should be super sort of problematic. I mean, these swinging sequences, and I'm not now talking about the physics of it, but he's mm-hmm. covering a lot of screen space. And if you move too far across screen space without motion blur, of course, it's a, it's a, it pops. It's like on the right, it's in the middle, it's on the left. It's not a movement. It's just like, a, like almost like jump cuts. Um, and not allowing that blurring... And not allowing that, uh, you know, sort of traditional technique that's used to get us that uh, that sense of stuff could have made. Like I'm thinking now, the forest when they're escaping um, with the uh, thing that they've nicked from the lab. Yep. That didn't look like jump cuts. It didn't look ridiculous, and yet they held true to form and did it without motion blur and without um, sort of many of the tricks that you would actually have. I think there are some very accomplished technical artistic solutions in this film that you just have to really ponder to think about. Uh, and beautiful. Like, I mean, just attractive frames that are just really aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Like, uh, I think the thing is also that, you know, a lot of times CG, even though it has a quote unquote camera lens, it's not, you know, the, the CG movie or animated movies don't typically take advantage of, wide angle fisheye or super long, you know, they tend to Mm. stay in a, in a 35 to 50 zone. And in this case, you know, like it was in the trailer. So it was kind of an iconic shot, but when you're like, you know, camera mounted to the side of the cab with some zip tone down the bottom of the cab and he comes into frame, like super distorted, the cabs, it's very wide angle. And he comes in and bounces off the cab and the cab kind of shakes a little bit, you know, that makes you feel like, Oh, I'm watching a movie. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's that stuff, those subtle, you know, shots. And again, to your point of, of breaking up edges to like just give your eye some clue to foreground action that, um, that I think it's subtle and subconscious, but it's enough that the audience recognizes again that visual language from a traditional movie and the way you might exaggerate something, uh, in animation. So Matt, well, they, you're called in gonna, to. Sorry, I was just going to say they. I think yeah, like just to build on that a little bit more. I was going to say like, I think what's cool is that you know they broke a ton of uh, rules in terms of a visual style and a visual language, but at the same time too, they did adhere to you know uh, certain things that we would expect to see in terms of um, you know 
specular property reflections, um, even like some volumetric lights, but they would do things with those elements where they would insert, uh, like I'm looking at a still frame right now of the thing I think you were just talking about, Jason, where there's one of the taxi cabs and Miles Morales is swinging between a cab and a car on one side. And in the volumetric lighting in the rain, of one of the cab headlights, they've inserted sort of the halftone into the uh, into the light ray, you know. And so it's like they're they're definitely playing on all the things yeah. that we're familiar with in a visual language in a movie. But because they've gone for this really unique um, and pretty original stylistic approach, they can kind of tweak and twist and change some of those rules. And I think that's where you get some of those, like the action lines and the uh, sitting in for motion blur and the misregistration. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. And, and it's what makes it feel so different from other animated movies is like the fact that they take it and they, they pay so much attention to all the detail, but they look at ways that they can insert and tweak the detail to give it, uh, you know, the look that they're going for. Like they really wholesale embrace it in a way that's, I don't know, just really exciting. Sorry, you were going to say something though. What I was going to say, you get called into a meeting. They want to make a sequel to this film and they ask you, okay, you've got full control over what you can do here visually. Do you do the same styles again in the sequel using all the same techniques we've discussed, which we've already agreed are successful, but would now be completely not original because they're a complete copy of the first film. Do you go further and try and find new ways to push and, and introduce sort of graphical elements? Or does it have to go in a completely third way, which is like, you know, go into one of these alternate verses and not be of the style that we've just done to remain being fresh and because they're going to make a sequel, right? And you could, you could adopt one of those styles. You could try and go further or you could just stay with where you are. What would you recommend? I think, you know, the thing that makes, I, I guess going on that notion, I would say it's going to look kind of the same, but I think the thing that they did here and that I think they still can do in a sequel is there's so many variations on Spider-Man in terms of the history of the comics, the history of the character, the history of the graphic novel, newer uh, artists doing work, older artists that did work, that there are so, there's such a rich tableau of like styles in which the character has been rendered that I think we're just scratching the surface with this movie. I think there's a host of additional opportunities um, you know, if they fit into a story context or whatever it is that they want to make for a sequel, there's opportunities to build on the language that they've created here visually and maybe introduce new things that we haven't seen before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what do you I want to, I want to, I want to Jack Kirby style uh, Galactus Silver Surfer movie like this. Hang on, you want a different subject Please. matter or a different style applied to this Spideyverse? I want I want the same type of innovation applied to a slightly different drawing style, the Jack Kirby style, with Galactus and Silver Silver Server. Because that's an interesting so, thought is that you could do a stylistic sequel that is of a completely different character, something that's not worked in the past, like Silver Surfer. And mm -hmm. right. it would be like the sequel to this, but not about Spider-Man. Or you can do the Spider-Man sequel and do it in some other style. 
Yeah, yeah it's an interesting you think idea. Of Galactus verse. <laughs> the Galactus verse. Although or also this, this style, I think this style and this approach, like you could probably make like a pretty exciting and cool, uh, Fantastic Four movie. The, yeah, the one exactly. thing that's always kind of sucked, you know, that I think is also, is that a Sony or Fox? I can't remember which. I think that was Fox. Well, you know Fox, the theory, yeah. the, the rumor there, don't Could you? Be wrong. The rumor there mm-hmm. is that that's in the next Marvel, um, you know, like that. They, 20. Yeah, exactly. Like they they will, uh, the in fact, the building that Tony Stark left is being converted in the background of whatever the last film was. Um, or it's in the trailer. Yeah, that there's a shot of the old uh, Avengers building being converted into whatever it is, Tower by um, Fantastic Four. What's the guy who runs the Fantastic Four? You know, the Reed Richards. Yeah, Reed Tower or Reed Building. I almost said Rex Reed. <laughs> that would be a totally different comic. So, that would be a definitely, definitely a lot more white pages in that book. <laughs> so we've we've got this film up for best uh, animated film, uh, and you know, uh, I think it stands a really good chance. Um, I think uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Incredibles two, Isles of Dogs, uh, and there's one other. Um, Murata, I, I think is uh, is the other one. But anyway, that's best animated feature. Um, Incredibles two and Isles of Dogs would seem to be the other two films that would stand a chance because yeah. uh, you know Wes Anderson does really interesting work, and of course you can't discount Brad Bird and and uh, Pixar. But I, I think we'd probably all vote, wouldn't we, that it's going to go Spidey verse. I, think I hope so. so. I mean, look, Wes Anderson already did Fantastic Mr. Fox, so this is just a different version of the same thing. Again, not qualitatively. I'm, I I haven't seen Isle of Dogs, but it looks awesome, and I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, also, Incredibles was already done. This is Incredibles two. So, if you follow that logic, you know, if you're an Academy voter, maybe you're looking towards something new, a la Spider Man that has has not won before and is incredibly groundbreaking where the other movies are very expertly doing what they've done before at a high level, but maybe not enough to win. Did the first Incredibles win uh, the Oscar? Good question. Uh, I don't know. And or did Fantastic Mr. Fox win the Oscar? I I actually don't remember. I don't think Fantastic Mr. Fox was nominated. Was it? I don't think that it won. Fantastic. Um, Anyway, not to derail the conversation, but like that would be like uh, kind of interesting because I think I'd totally go with your theory. Um, but I also, I, I mean, in all honesty, I actually think this is a more, in terms of animation, I feel like this is a more original thing. It feels like something that we haven't seen before. Whereas in- I Incredibles, think, yeah, Incredibles did win Best Animated Feature. It did. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's also won um, Best Achievement in Sound Editing and was nominated for a couple of others. Um, okay, but leaving that aside for a second, then let's swing our attention to the, um, the actual... Fantastic Mr. Fox was nam- nominated, but I don't believe it won. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think it did. And by the way, I think Bo from Pixar sends a terrific chance in, sh- in short animated film. Um, but let's swing our attention to visual effects. So, so we have five major visual effects films up for the, uh, Oscar, uh, and as we have in recent years, we've got kind of one of them that would perhaps be classified as a smaller film. 
Uh, we've got the Avengers, Infinity War, which is probably like the biggest of the bunch, um, quickly followed by Ready Player One being a you know heavy major ILM kind of film. Solo, which is obviously not as big a um, Star Wars film as some, but, uh, you know, Christopher Robin, which is way leaning to um, character animation, and then First Man, which I would suggest First Man is the film that has more the feel of the small indie film, as in it's obviously a visual effects film, it's obviously a major studio film, but it's not a classic big blockbuster tentpole um, summer release like Avengers is or Solo or Ready Player One. Yeah. Some great effects in it though, like for sure, but it's like a, it, it does feel more like it's like the, uh, the ex machina of this year. Yeah. Well, but of course, you know, is the Academy at that point that it wants to give these Oscars still to the big and the best or now the smaller and the, you know, did it with less kind of film? Because, you could argue that there was a sort of a move towards giving the Oscar to films that just weren't effectively spending their way to the Oscar. Um, the argument was, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but the argument was if you just have more money than God, which obviously Disney and Marvel do, you can just do more effects than anybody else and and uh, there you go. Now, I don't think that's a valid argument because I've seen films that have had a ton of visual effects thrown at them and I've found them to be poor films and haven't been recognised at the box office and haven't really found an audience and are quite frankly as annoying to me as they are to the biggest uh, VFX hater. Whereas Avengers and certainly some of the other films we mentioned are tons of visual effects, tons of budget, but very, very well spent. But anyway, before I pick mine, I mean, what do you reckon? Yep. Well, yeah. How many of these are ILM? Avengers? Uh, well, four. If, Ready Player One? Uh, three, sorry. Solo. You, yeah. Solo, Ready Player That's, One, and, and Avengers. Yeah. Well, so they got three out of five for winning. That's at least, you know, uh, pretty good odds. Um, and very much I the would case say, with Solo as well. Uh, it's very much an ILM film. Yeah. I, would, I have not seen Christopher Robin or First Man, although I really wanted to see First Man, and I still will. I personally think Ready Player One would really? be my pick. While I don't think it's the best movie, I thought the visual effects in it were pretty... I mean, the motion capture was stellar. And I think maybe it's just a soft spot, but they should win for the Shining sequence alone. <laughs> it was... You know, Avengers is something we've seen before, just done at a super high level. So is Solo. Um Ready Player One, I feel like with like the rewinding stuff in the memories and the motion capture and and the um, specifically the shining thing, which is something no one has done before at that level and yeah. was incredibly convincing. But do you think that people th remember the shining when they think of Ready Player One or don't they go straight to the the ad, uh, avatar type characters? Because in, in my mind, I totally agree with everything you just said, except for I think the general academy is going to think digital characters. Then they're going to compare the avatar sure. characters in Ready Player One with Thanos in Avengers and go, Thanos yeah. was better. Um, and, and that's, that's possible. A I mean, Thanos too. was great. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I again, I think all these movies, again, I didn't see First Man, so I don't know about the visual effects in there. I can imagine they're awesome, but um, There's I no didn't like Solo that much, but the visual effects were good. First Man has no major character work. It is exactly yeah. what you'd expect it to be. But it's a very slow film, right? It's not a – look at the trailer. You think you're getting in on a 
kind of, you know, action yeah. film. This is um, Armstrong dealing with the loss of a child and just like a lot of right. stuff that's got nothing to do with anything but good acting and, and narrative. But it's just, right. you know. Um, it's interesting that it got nominated, uh, you know, outside of like, you know, no, you would think Aquaman would get, you know, they would hammer the hell out of Aquaman to get in that thing. And like, they were nowhere to be found in, uh, even in the Bake Off, right? Mm, I just don't know. I just, just don't. Matt, what do you think? I mean, you know, I was, I, 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 it, I could say what I think probably will happen just from my own gut instinct and then what I kind of wish would happen for me. Like I would love to see, I, I agree with Jason. I'd love to see, um, ready player one, uh, when, cause I'd love to see, um, that kind of work rewarded. And I, and I, it'd be cool to see Roger Guyette, uh, win an Oscar. That would be really exciting. Um, yeah. but, uh, I also think, um, you know, solo, uh, has some great, uh, visual effects work in it, but I don't know that it's, I feel like you know it's it's not the movie. Uh, if if a Star Wars movie is going to win, it's not going to be that one. I don't think. Um, and then I, although I think they did some amazing work in it. Frankly, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think some of the stuff with the um, the parabolic projection stuff for the cockpit shots, and then the, oh yeah, you know the stuff at the uh, when they go through the the Kessel Run and all that stuff is just so incredible. And the 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 technical achievement. Um, in terms of the look in that film, I still think is some of the best stuff I saw this year. I could see it going to Avengers, um, although I don't think that's the best visual effects of the year. I think you're right, Thanos is really great, but I think there's uh, some of the stuff in that movie, It's it, there's so much. It feels, um, uh, I did go back and watch that again recently. I think it's on Netflix or something, and it just feels a little bit um, uneven overall, you know, uh, it is in terms of the consistent like high quality because um, there's so much work in it. Um, it's interesting what didn't make it. But yeah, like, I, I, w- I actually wouldn't be surprised, like I said at the beginning, if it went to uh, either the Christopher Robin or uh, First Man. Like I, I could see the small, the small moving winning winning out over the giant uh, tentpole franchise um, style picture. I'm kind of interested in some of the films that didn't make it. Like I'm kind of surprised that Black Panther didn't make the nominations. I thought that would have been yeah. a an easier thing. To, and, and also I thought Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom wouldn't win because it's a sequel, but it was really good visual effects work. Uh, again, yeah, that was agreed. in the bake-off. I personally loved the facial work in Marwin, but that's me, right? Like I just... Um, I, thought yeah, I haven't just seen Marwin. I haven't seen that either. It is, yeah. It, is it the is movie really any good? good. The, the trouble with the film is I can see why it doesn't land an audience, right? I mean, it's a it's a guy who gets beaten up because he likes wearing women's shoes. He's not a strong character in the sense. I mean, he's a strong characterization, but he's not a strong individual because he's suffering so much from his um, beating. And then it's sort of like it's small, like it's small as in it's small steps for him on the road to recovery. So you don't have right. kind of anything. It's not like. It's not like it builds to a crescendo where he heroically saves the day or anything like that, which would be a more cliched thing to do, but just tends to work well in a cinema. Having said that, leave all that aside for a second. The the facial work in not making those dolls look like they're on the uncanny valley and creepy. Like you don't look at the doll mm-hmm. sequences and cringe ever. Um, it's just really mm. nice work. But it's but, a mechus. Yeah, yeah, it's a mechus. 
And 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 look, uh, as you probably know, I got to talk to him yeah, the other day, and we got a podcast on FX Guide that I did with um with Epic on, and I, it was great talking to him, right? Like um, I mean, yeah, talking to Bob Zemeckis, like <laughs> it's like <laughs> like you, you just it's so hard not to sound like you're being sycophantic, and because you know from Who Framed Roger Rabbit to Contact to you know just you go you name it, right? Back to the future. Back to the future. Oh, I mean, exactly. Gone. That's just <laughs> it's amazing talking to him, and he's so interesting in terms of um like he really just wants it to be a filmmaking tool so that he can get good acting which is of course what he should be doing right but he makes consistently technical films but he isn't really a super technical guy like he's not like a guy who wants to just do tech for tech's sake um anyway i'm forrest gump alone was was you know pretty you know needle moving for visual effects when oh i mean out. who framed roger rabbit was spectacular well, in terms yeah, of technical of course, advances of um and and look contact was a, just a gorgeous technical execution just marvelous yeah. stuff um but you know like pick any of them right even like uh what was um tom hanks uh, castaway like yeah lovely integrated visual effects in that anyway so it's, it's yeah it was just a career high for me to talk to him and you know it's one of the great joys to just be able to talk to such bright people um, but leaving that aside for a second, uh, I did think some of those other films, like, as I say, Black Panther and to a certain extent, Ant-Man and the Wasp had some really nice sequences though. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess we'd seen some of that multiversey type stuff before, but it was a good, it was a good feel that they. It was well done. Yeah. So did we get your selection, Matt? Like who did you actually pick as your. Who's going to win? I I think it's going to go to one of the smaller pictures. I think that's who's going to win. It's either going to be First Man or Christopher Robin. But I, I I would personally love to see um, uh, Ready Player One win. But I just don't think I just don't see that happening for some reason. I think First Man doesn't have enough visual effects in it. Nor is it sort of like the like if if First Man was. Um, I don't know, like one of the films that was up for best picture that had this huge momentum behind it that would get it like, you know, kind of dragged along in the slipstream maybe, but it's not, it's not dramatic. Like you don't have shots in it that we haven't seen since Apollo 13 that that's very well done. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like you can look at it and go, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, great work, take nothing away from it. Uh, and Ian Hunter has done terrific work with the miniatures, but mm-hmm. My problem is, as I say, I think Ready Player One, the image that sticks in everyone's head is of the um, sort of, I think, slightly uncanny version that they did of the main characters. Yeah. And if it was more of that rewind sequence that you mentioned, which was just spectacular technically, if that stuff sat mm-hmm. in your mind more um, or The Shining, then I think it would win. Uh, otherwise, if they, if they just sort oh, of... Oh, here's hoping. Then I think it's going to go to uh, Avengers. Hmm. I mean, Avengers is the safe bet if you were a uh, you know looking for the high odds. The, maybe, the we'll va- just, maybe I'll just lay odds, odds on ILM. <laughs> I'll just lay odds on ILM in general and call it a day. Yeah, I'd like to see Solo win because you know people like Rob Bredow are great guys, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know they deserve to win Oscars for um, sure. Here's the thing: Do we think though that because in the in the old days you'd argue that ILM has a kind of ILM voting block of ex ILMers and ILMers, and you'd argue that they were the most influential group in this part of the academy, so it had split the vote. But of course now we're talking about this being voted on by all members of the academy, so. 
Right. Do we think that the ILM effect doesn't count and that there's no sense of splitting the vote? Do, do even people even think about the effects house when they're voting in this category? I think that the non-technical people don't think about it and they're going to do what you said, which is, oh, Ready Player One, that's that animated video game movie. You know what I mean? And they're going to, I think the the older voters will probably go for Christopher Robin and the <laughs> younger voters will go for Infinity War who are not technical people who are just, you know, other Academy members or, or at least visual effects technical. They're obviously technical in their own field. But I was wondering if Todd was going to do the predictionator or if he's retired the predictionator because now he's an Academy member. And so like, he oh. has a, so he's got a vested interest in the, uh, yeah, you know he's, he's actually he, voting. Didn't he, um, man, like swear off it after? Like I thought, like two films ago, he kind of swore off it. Or maybe I'm wrong. Oh, maybe he did. I don't know. Did he use the predictinator on on the presidential election? Maybe it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, he did work on Solo, so I think uh, maybe there's a little of. Uh, Inherent bias, perhaps. Todd, Todd Vaziri is the visual effects version of Nate Silver. <laughs> yes, yes. It's true. And such a nice and Nate guy. Nate Silver well. was wrong, too. <laughs> Super nice guy. <laughs> I love Todd. Yeah. It's interesting, He's actually. He's got a funny you, Twitter account, that's for sure. Oh, darn sure. If you actually go to Todd's website, it's interesting what people pick as the classic frame that <clears throat> is their idea of the film. See, he has a frame from every film of the five we just described. The frame he has, <clears throat> excuse me, the frame he has for Ready Player One is a frame from The Shining, right? Right. Um, and yet, you know, the shot for Solo he has is from the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, which I'd say is like the kind of iconic thing. For First Man, it's like, you know, as he's sort of breaking out of Earth's atmosphere. Christopher Robin is obviously the characters. And in Avengers, it's uh, Spidey climbing up the side of the um, thing as they're leaving Earth when he first joy rides out of uh off with tony stark the thing is all of those apart from the ready player one image i'd say are what i would happily go to when i was doing the what are the generic frames that i'm going to put up i put up a shot of the characters from um from ready play one because that's what i thought most felt like ready play one for me i put somebody on the moon for first man christopher robin obviously Pooh bear and and i put the face of thanos for for Avengers, because yeah. it stuck out in my head as just the number one kind of visual effect in that film that I just thought was spectacular because of the subtlety of an otherwise enormously caricature ridiculously larger-than-life character. Like that's the restraint of the performance and of the visual effects of not having him thump around like the Hulk uh, is why I'd like to see Avengers win. Like it was, it was just a... a subtle piece of acting done through visual effects. I loved it. So anyway, that's my, my vote would go to the Avengers. Um, of course, we get to see a, a finer cut on all of this with the VES Awards. Um, you guys been voting in the VES Awards? Yeah, I did all my voting. I am not in the VES, but uh, I enjoyed going to it, Mike, with you uh, many years ago. So, of course, here we get to vote on, like, best character, best comp, best environment, uh, a bunch of stuff. Um, and you get that more sort of, you know, the ability to separate Thanos from, say, the, yeah. you know, a sequence like uh, like The Shining. Um, Granular, yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, 
Jason, while I've got you, did you have a client's an eye over the uh, cinematography category? I'd just be interested in your, is Roma oh, just going to wow. romp home or is uh, A Star is Born or The Favourite or anything got to look on. in? Hold on. i got to see the list again. Cold War, The Favourite, Never Look Away, A Star is Born and Roma. I didn't see Roma, and everything I've heard everyone say is it's the mm, best. It's kind it's, of slow, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's the best picture of the year. I think that <laughs> Maddie shot the shit out of Star is Born. Looks beautiful. I actually really like that movie. I liked it too. Um, uh, I did not see Cold War, but the trailer looks incredible. However, the favorite from a if we're talking about daring work which yeah. typically i my feeling is that you should win not for doing a good job and like really killing it but for doing something above and beyond uh what your position or ward yeah. position normally does and i think the favorite is incredible i mean i thought it was an incredible film and i, I like yorgos lanthimos's other movies but that movie is incredible and the camera work is beautiful and the use of crazy wide angle lenses with pans yeah. and dollies and stuff was just bonkers yeah it was like it and reminded it, me we were talking about the shining sequence it reminded me of the shining in some ways in the way that it was shot but it was like as if uh the shining if stanley kubrick were like drunk on roller skates <laughs> yeah would you give it then it's like barry linden shot by Shot by a yeah. Barry Lyndon and, and The Shining had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> would Would you give it uh, a look in in film editing, or would you give it to like Vice or Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, or Black Kinsman for that matter. Green Book's the other one in, in film editing. But I would have uh, thought. I think I only saw Green Book in the editing category. Editing's always tricky because it's like I'm not quite sure what they're looking for. Like, is it style? Because like Bohemian Rhapsody had actually I did see that too. Bohemian Rhapsody had a lot of style in the storytelling, but I, I don't know what the criteria are people are used for the editing. As a former editor, I don't know what I would even use to choose like an best editing. Like is it well, a yeah, technical like doc, documentary a, editing would be more interesting in a weird way because it's like yeah, that's so much more. Although that's I shouldn't say that. Like I mean I'm sure there's a lot of really creative edits that go on in in. Uh, yeah, standard totally. feature just, film, but like it's just so different. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what criteria I would use. I mean, what are you what are you leaning towards in editing? Um, I think it it sets the um, the tone, if you like, the the cadence of the film. And so I find that uh, you get this in. It's almost like um, it's not visual scoring, which I how it sort of more describe the the color grading, but it's almost like a. I can kind of describe it other than cadence. Like it's like the pacing slash sort of like the way that the conversation of the film moves in terms of the cutting and how that yeah. sort of can sometimes in of itself provide either humor or shock or underscore action. Um, the not cutting away, you know, the, the can be a powerful piece of editing. <clears throat> so I'm not just talking about like fast cutting, but um, yep. I, yeah. I guess an easier. Personally, if I was going to pick editing, I would have nominated Mandy. Okay, I was going to say the other one that's <laughs> probably easier to guess is or discuss is production design, um, where Black Panther is included. Um, Mary Poppins Returns, which is a very strong um, yeah. piece of production yeah. design. Uh, Roma, First Man, which is there again, which I was a little surprised about, and The Favorite. And I would have thought 
that you guys would probably go the favorite. Uh, but For me, it's between the favorite and Mary Poppins. I thought, I don't know. Mary Poppins had to, not, had to match and something. Really? And so maybe it's just from a matching standpoint. It seems a little heavy. You can't go wrong with heavy handed in Mary Poppins. And I think that that, yeah, I think production design in Roma is a much harder exercise. It's sure. But, I didn't see it again. So, but it's, I don't know, Matt, what do you think? I mean, the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Again, I mean, production design, I, there's those, all those nominees are, they're pretty different, you know? I mean, it's like, it really, again, is going to be, it's an evaluative criteria thing. Like, you know, I'd love to have the chance to see when they have their branch, um, you know, do they, I'm, I'm sure they must do presentations um, to see how they break some of that down. I mean, I would think yeah, the favorite, like in a, you know, the costumes in the favorite seem like a really big deal. The settings yeah. and the, um, and the set design seems sort of a little bit, I don't know. It's almost like, you know, you go to one of those old, um, you know, some old English uh, yeah. estate or castle and it's like you get a lot of production value for not much, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Roma, I think one of the things about Roma is that it's so, um, it's a period piece, you know? And uh, I think in that that aspect of it, I think makes it um, really interesting and uh, would be interesting to see how that would break out. What were the other... Ones that you mentioned, I'm not looking at the list here. Uh, Black Panther, uh, First Man, Roma, The Favorite, and Mary Poppins Returns. I mean, Black Panther had some great, yeah, some great production design in it. You know, all the ships and the Wakanda and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, uh, hard to say. I mean, actually, now that you say it, Matt, I kind of had the same comment to my friends when we were talking after we saw The Favorite. And we were, you know, we were talking about the filmmaking and we were just saying, you know, it's all available light or candlelight or occasionally a big source and, mm-hmm. you know, way off in the distance. And you are going to a, I'm not dis- disparaging any of the production design of the film, but certainly you do find a castle that, uh, or, you know, a mansion or, or a state that gets you a, a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, you're still dressing all that stuff, but at the same of time, course, too, no, like and absolutely. lighting it and everything. But I mean, like, you know, they're not building like, I, well, I shouldn't say this, but I don't think they're building that um, that one big hallway with like the super with high, the dark wood yeah. carved walls and stuff. You know, I think yeah. that that's I would, there. I would imagine not, but I mean, yeah. I'm, that's pure yeah, speculation sh- sh- on my part. Yeah, totally. See, now, <laughs> I would have given production design to um, Ready Player One. For exactly the reasons we were talking about earlier, right? Like mm-hmm, that's right. what should win, in my opinion. That kind yeah. of work. Um, I think you know you you want subtlety and craft. That and that's why I don't like. Uh, not that I don't like, but I don't favour Mary Poppins because any right. bold colour, sort of pantomime over the topness, just wins the day, right? It's red polka dots because that's right. bright and cheery, and and you know it's like whereas. If you can find that subtle thing that really just denotes what it would have been really like and just gives the essence of it without having to be drawing attention to itself in any way, shape or form, in any of the crafts, then I feel like you've really gotten somewhere. But anyway, okay, so predictions. So what do we think? Who's going to win? Uh, uh, like we, I guess we're in, in 
we going to like pick anything in production design? Like we, I'm going to say, if I had to stick my neck out, I think. I think I'll go Black Panther. I think so too. I think they're going to want Black Panther to huh. win and they don't right. want to give it the Oscar for the main film because they don't like giving it to anything that made money. But they want it to win some categories because they like the film a lot and so production design is exactly what they'd sort of like. That's a good film. We like it. Give it an Oscar. But then I'm a bit cynical. I'll go with that. That <laughs> sounds good to me. Sure. Excellent. Well, I guess we'll see how we've gone with all of our uh, results uh, by next time we speak. Um, I think that sort of ends it for the show this week. Uh, again, otherwise, to say congratulations oh, wait, what to about, all. What, what about Best Picture, though? Why oh, do we care about Best Picture? It's just such a populist, like, <laughs> darn kind of, all right, let's do Best Picture. Can I give my, can I, can I say what the four Best Pictures of the year were? Are they, are they anything to do with the Oscars? One of them is. Okay. Two of them are. <laughs> Go no, on. three of them are. All four of them actually are in, nominated in different categories. But, so Roma, I think it was the best movie of the year. Yeah. No one saw this movie, Border. But it was the best movie of the year until I saw Roma. And it's nominated for makeup. And I, I hope hmm. it wins. And then Eighth Grade, which I still think is eighth grade was great. such a great movie, having yeah. just had an eighth grader, no, a ninth <laughs> grader. Um, and then um, the one totally underrated and the thing that I think is he totally, it's true, he totally got robbed. He should have been nominated. Ethan Hawke and First Reformed. Yeah, great, I didn't see that. My brother great saw movie. it. It's like the, you know, the sort of faith-based version of uh, Taxi Driver. It's so yeah. great. <laughs> Paul Schrader's pissed. Well, okay. So that's your go? Okay, so which, which is your actual, like... Ro- you Roma's going to win. I okay. think Roma will win. Jason? What's nominated? What's nominated for Best Picture? Black Panther, Black Kingsman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma... Star is Born, Vice. I haven't seen half of those. Green Book was really good, but I don't think it's going to win. Um, the favorite might win, but I have a feeling Roma's going to take everything. And I'm interested, even though I haven't seen it, that's just my feeling because Corone always wins whenever he's nominated. But I, I think I'm curious to see if he wins cinematography. I think Rome is going to win Best Picture, but I want Bohemian Rhapsody to win just so they can stand up on the stage and play We Are the Champions and have all the stars yeah. clapping. <laughs> we really that are out of time. Cool. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Jason, where can people track you down, hunt you down, or stalk you? Uh, Facebook, Jason Diamond, Supersphere, VR, The Diamond Bros, all the, all the stuff. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah, Matt? too many things. Uh, I'm at, uh, in the department of communication arts at Virginia Commonwealth university in the school of the arts in Richmond, Virginia. And then, uh, my website is, uh, what is it? Mattwallen.com. <laughs> and of course, uh, I'm Mike Seymour on the Twitterverse and on uh, Instagram and stuff. Apparently, you know, all of our industry is only on Instagram now. You've got to get off Twitter. I've been told just do Instagram. That's all our industry cares about, but there you go. Um, and the podcast I was talking about earlier with uh, Bob Zemeckis is part of the Visual Disruptors. Uh, it's number four in the series with uh, Kevin Bailey and Bob Zemeckis. It's a link to it on the FX Guide site. Um, guys, thanks so much for being with us. We had a wonderful break over the, uh, the holidays. In my case, the summer. Your case, the bleakest of all coldest winters. <laughs> uh, but we're back for 2019. We're looking forward to you joining us for the rest of the year. Until next time, 
Thank you so much for being with us. I'm Mike Seymour. See you guys. And good luck with your Oscar pool. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at bfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.